Hello and welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. With orders to refuse the faithful Holy Communion on the tongue coming from governmental health authorities and even from some bishops and priests, I wanted to give you the reasons why I could never receive Holy Communion in the hand. And if the matter was forced, I would make the sacrifice of just making a spiritual Holy Communion. I've tried to make this as simple as possible by dividing it into five reasons, and the video description and over at my LifeSite blog will be including the links to the documents referenced. So please stay tuned. Before we begin, I want to remind you to like this video and share it. Also, make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell so that you can be notified about new episodes as they're released. Finally, we are at LifeSite News on a fundraiser currently, and if you're able to assist us financially with making this show possible and all of our news available, please click the give.lifesitenews.com link below this video. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the very first point I'd like to make is about reverence due to Almighty God. I want to dismiss the false notion that people receive communion on the tongue out of some kind of false piety or holier-than-thou attitude. While I can't, of course, discount that that is ever something that's going on, From those I've witnessed and read about receiving Holy Communion on the tongue, it comes from a deep reverential love for the King of Kings whom we receive in this great sacrament. And I believe receiving our Lord on the tongue while kneeling reinforces that reverence for our Eucharistic Lord. Some of the most powerful arguments for the need for this type of reverence are in the Bible. Remember when Moses first met the Lord God in the burning bush, as we read about in Exodus 3? Well, Moses was told not to come too near to the burning bush and to remove his sandals because he was on holy ground. If you read Psalm 95, we read, Come, let us adore and fall down and weep before the Lord that made us. We see it, of course, in the New Testament, too. Remember when Peter, James, and John uh, went up Mount Tabor at the Transfiguration. They saw the glorified body of Jesus, which we receive in Holy Communion, and they prostrated themselves with their foreheads to the ground. But the biblical account that speaks to this subject most directly for me is what happened with the Ark of the Covenant. You can read the account both in 2 Samuel 6, 1-7 and 1 Chronicles 13, 9-12. The Ark of the Covenant was designed by God and built to the Lord's specifications. It contained the manna, the staff of Moses, and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It was also so sacred that it was never allowed to be touched, except by certain Levites, the, the sort of priests of their time. The reservation of touching the Ark to priests only was potently or powerfully reinforced when a layman, whose name was Uzzah, who was transporting the ark at the request of King David, was struck dead by God for touching the ark. Now get this, Uzzah was trying to do the right thing. He was doing what he thought was right to save the ark. You see, while he and his brother were transporting the ark in a cart pulled by oxen, 
along the journey, uh, the ark got tilted or, or you know, the oxen stumbled and, and it was tilting. So Uzzah used his hand to steady the ark and for that was struck dead by the Lord. The scripture explains that the Lord struck him down because Uzzah was not to touch the ark. It's actually very much the same in our time when many are trying to do what they think is right for the coronavirus by receiving on the hand. Yet with the ark, it was not the right thing to do even though it is what seemed expedient. It was done for good intent to save the ark from harm, just as many are receiving on the hand today with good intent to save their brothers and sisters in Christ from possible coronavirus infection or to save the church her freedom to be able to distribute Holy Communion at all. But nevertheless, touching the ark was the wrong thing to do. The Lord's decision here actually perplexed David, as you can read in the scriptures. And after this incident, David was afraid to bring the Ark of the Lord to himself. And yet, what was the Ark of the Covenant compared to our Lord himself in the Eucharist? The Ark was revered in the temple. It was carried in ceremony. It was considered holy. And yet it was only the footstool of God. His presence was there veiled and prefiguring of his real presence in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we receive in Holy Communion. My wife is a convert to Catholicism. She asked me the other day how communion in the hand can possibly make any sense given the practices in the church of consecrating the altar and the sacred vessels used in the Mass and consecrating the priest's hands. We see priests and bishops even the Pope covering his hands with the humeral veil, with a vestment called a humeral veil during benediction of the Blessed Sacrament. This is all about the sacredness of Christ in the Eucharist. But if we allow everyone to touch the sacred host with their unconsecrated hands, the practice of the humeral veil becomes very confusing indeed. It may seem perhaps that the church, since it seems not to care about handling the body of Christ itself with unconsecrated hands, but only when it's in a monstrance, perhaps it's the gold in the monstrance that we are protecting with the use of the veil. And of course, that's nonsense. But I'm going to conclude on this point of reverence towards our Eucharistic Lord, quoting from Dietrich von Hildebrandt. He was a German Catholic philosopher and religious writer. He was known and loved by the last number of popes. He was a great fighter of, of course, Nazism and communism. At Wikipedia, you can read about Hildebrandt. He was called, and I quote, the 20th century doctor of the church by Pope Pius XII. Pope John Paul II greatly admired the philosophical work of Hildebrandt, remarking once to his widow, Alice von Hildebrandt, your husband is one of the great ethicists of the 20th century. Benedict XVI also had a particular admiration and regard for Hildebrandt, who knew Ratzinger as a young priest in Munich. The degree of Pope Benedict's esteem in experience is expressed in one of his statements about Hildebrandt, and I quote, when the intellectual history of the Catholic Church in the 20th century is written, the name of Dietrich von Hildebrandt will be most prominent among the figures of our time, end quote. Well, here is what Dietrich von Hildebrandt wrote about the subject of communion in the hand in his book, The Devastated Vineyard, and I quote, unfortunately, in many places, communion is distributed in the hand. 
To what extent is this supposed to be a renewal and a deepening of the reception of Holy Communion? Is the trembling reverence with which we receive this incomprehensible gift perhaps increased by receiving it in our unconsecrated hands rather than from the consecrated hand of the priest? It is not difficult, continued von Hildebrandt, it is not difficult to see that the danger of parts of the consecrated host falling to the ground is incomparably increased, and the danger of desecrating it, or indeed of horrible blasphemy, is very great. Von Hildebrandt continued, And what in the world is to be gained by all this? The claim that contact with the hand makes the host more real is certainly pure nonsense. For the theme here is not the reality of the matter of the host, but rather the consciousness, which is only attainable by faith that the host in reality has become the body of Christ. The reverent reception of the body of Christ on our tongues from the consecrated hand of the priest is much more conducive to the strengthening of this consciousness than reception with our own unconsecrated hands. End quote. The second reason I would give is the authority of the church. It's important to say, first of all, that I'm saying this knowing full well, full well that we are in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic. In fact, the very first point I'd like to make about this point is to bring to your consideration that the church has already considered the matter of allowance of Holy Communion on the tongue in the midst of a virus, and that's in the midst of a pandemic even. It was in 2009, in the midst of the H1N1 swine flu influenza pandemic. A lay Catholic in England, in a diocese where Holy Communion on the tongue was restricted due to the pandemic, wrote the Vatican about the matter. And the response from the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, which is the sort of Vatican department that deals with these things, was dated July 24th, 2009. You're going to see a link to that below this video, in the description, and also over at my blog on this subject at lifesightnews.com. So that CDW, or Congregation for Divine Worship, uh, document, dated July 24, 2009, was posted online by Rorati Celli, and you can also find a link to it below, as I said. So the Vatican congregation, tasked with authoritatively responding to such questions, wrote, quoting church law on the subject, and I'll quote it for you, the letter says, Each of the faithful always has the right to receive Holy Communion on the tongue. And, end quote. And by the way, they were referencing number 92 of the Vatican instruction on the subject called Redentionis Sacramentum. They said, Nor is it licit to deny Holy Communion to any of Christ's faithful who are not impeded by law, and that means church law, of course, from receiving the Holy Eucharist. End quote. So the Vatican in their response, added this, and I quote, The congregation thanks you for bringing this important matter to its attention. Be assured that the appropriate contacts will be made, end quote. Now, there's a very fascinating explanation of what this letter means and the implications that it has. Over at Canon Law Made Easy, which is a blog from canonist Kathy Caridi, um, the canonist points out the significance of that line about appropriate contacts will be made. Caridi says, and I quote, 
It makes it clear that after sending this letter, the CDW intended to contact the clergy who were illegally barring Catholics from receiving communion on the tongue to inform them in a formal official way that by doing that, they were violating the law, end quote. The canonist concludes this way, she, she says, It would be only logical to assume that if the faithful contact the CDW now with the information about the current illegal practices in their own parishes and dioceses where they are forbidden to receive communion on the tongue, the CDW will respond in precisely the same way. That is, if you're being denied Holy Communion right now, in coronavirus time, contact the Vatican, and they will respond in the same way as they did during the 2009 H1N1 swine flu virus, saying that it is not permissible, or here's the words actually of canonist Caridi, the CDW will have to respond in the same way, not because coronavirus isn't dangerous, but because the right of the faithful around the world to receive the Eucharist in the way that is the church's established norm on the tongue cannot be curtailed by anyone other than the supreme authority of the church. She continues, this is an issue not of germs, but of the church's hierarchical structure. No bishop on earth, still less a priest acting on his own, has the authority to countermand a law or specific directive of the Vatican that is, uh, that is intended to apply to the universal church, period. And again, that's from the blog, Canon Law Made Easy. The third point that I wanted to make is about the witness of the saints and popes and angels. So first off, we have St. Thomas Aquinas, regarded universally as the greatest doctor of the church. He wrote in the 1200s in his Summa Theologica, and I quote, Out of reverence towards this sacrament, Nothing touches it but what is consecrated. Hence the corporal and the chalice are consecrated, and likewise the priest's hands for touching this sacrament. Hence it is not lawful for anyone else to touch it, except from necessity, for instance, if it were to fall upon the ground, or else in some other case of urgency. And you can find that in the Summa Theologica. Uh, that's actually Q82, Article 13. So, also... In 2008, Pope Benedict decided to stop giving Holy Communion on the hand to the faithful and would only give Holy Communion to the faithful on the tongue and kneeling. A Vatican webpage commemorating this decision was published in 2009. It has been updated since, of course, to include a photo of Pope Francis, but it can still be found on the Vatican website. The Vatican webpage says this, and I quote, From the time of the Fathers of the Church, a tendency was born and consolidated whereby distribution of Holy Communion in hand became more and more restricted in favor of distributing Holy Communion on the tongue. The motivation for this practice is twofold. A. First, to avoid as much as possible the dropping of the Eucharistic particles. B. Second, to increase among the faithful devotion to the real presence of Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist. End quote. The letter continues, a celebrated saying of St. Augustine cited by Pope Benedict in Benedict XVI in number 66 of his encyclical Sacramentum Caritatis, that is the sacrament of love, teaches, quote, No one eats that flesh without first adoring it. We should sin were we not to adore it, end quote. Kneeling 
continues the Vatican document, indicates and promotes the adoration necessary before receiving the Eucharistic Christ. From this perspective, the then Cardinal Ratzinger assured that, quote, communion only reaches its true depth when it is supported and surrounded by adoration. He said that in the spirit of the liturgy, which was published by Ignatius Press in the year 2000. For this reason, Cardinal Ratzinger maintained that, quote, the practice of kneeling for Holy Communion has in its favor a centuries-old tradition, and it is a particularly expressive sign of adoration, completely appropriate in light of the true, real, and substantial presence of our Lord Jesus Christ under the consecrated species. This is from the um, this congregation of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, dated July 1st. Uh, 2002. The Vatican webpage goes on to say, John Paul II, in his last encyclical, Ecclesia de, de Eucharista, the Church Comes from the Eucharist, wrote in number 61, quote, by giving the Eucharist the prominence it deserves and by being careful not to diminish any of its dimensions or demands, we show that we are truly conscious of the greatness of this gift. We are urged to do so by an uninterrupted tradition from the first centuries on has found the Christian community ever vigilant in guarding this treasure inspired by the love, inspired by love, the church is anxious to hand on to future generations of Christians without loss her faith and teaching with regard to the mystery of the Eucharist. There can be no danger of excess in our care for this mystery. For in this sacrament is re recapitulated the whole mystery of our salvation. End quote. The Vatican webpage concludes this way. It says, announcing the uh, or, or commemorating the change of um, Pope Benedict, it says, in continuity with the teaching of his predecessors, starting with the solemnity of Corpus Christi in the year 2008, the Holy Father, Benedict XVI, began to distribute to the faithful the body of the Lord by placing it directly on the tongue of the faithful as they remain kneeling, end quote. The current head of the Vatican Department that deals with the issue, um, known as, as, as again, the, the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, is Cardinal Robert Serra. Without a doubt, he is one of the saintliest cardinals alive today. In fact, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI strongly endorsed Cardinal Serra, saying publicly in an afterword to a reprint of Car one of Cardinal Serra's book, which you might know, called The Power of Silence. And this is Pope Benedict, uh, the one already retired, by the way. So uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict saying quote, about Cardinal Serra, quote, with Cardinal Serra, a master of silence and of interior prayer, the liturgy is in good hands, end quote. Um, Benedict also added in that same afterward, Cardinal Sarah is a spiritual teacher who speaks out of the depths of silence with the Lord, out of his interior union with him, and thus really has something to say to each one of us. End quote. It is this cardinal, this saintly African cardinal, Robert Sarah, who is in charge of the church's dicastery dealing with the sacraments that is pleaded with priests to only give communion to the faithful kneeling and on the tongue. In the preface to a 2018 book critically analyzing communion on the hand, Cardinal Robert Serra, 
who again is the prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship, he wrote these words. Why do we insist on receiving communion standing and on the hand? Why this attitude of lack of submission to the signs of God? May no priest dare to impose his authority in this matter by refusing or mistreating those who wish to receive communion kneeling and on the tongue. Let us come as children and humbly receive the body of Christ on our knees and on our tongue. The saints give us the example. They are the models to be imitated that God offers us. End quote. Cardinal Sarah also warned strenuously, and I quote again, the most insidious diabolical attack consists in trying to extinguish faith in the Eucharist by sowing errors and fostering an unsuitable way of receiving it. He continued, truly the war between Michael and his angels on one side and Lucifer on the other continues in the hearts of the faithful. He said, Satan's target is the sacrifice of the Mass and the real presence of Jesus in the consecrated host. Let us now look at how the faith in the real presence can influence the way we receive communion and vice versa, he said. And again, I'm quoting from Cardinal Robert Serra. He said, Receiving communion on the hand undoubtedly involves a great scattering of the fragments. On the contrary, attention to the smallest crumbs, care in purifying the sacred vessels, not touching the host with sweaty hands, all become professions of faith in the real presence of Jesus, even in the smallest parts of the consecrated species. If Jesus is the substance of the Eucharistic bread, and if the dimensions of the fragments are accidents only of the bread, it is of little importance how big or small the piece of host is. The substance is the same. It's him. On the contrary, inattention to the fragments makes us lose sight of the dogma. Little by little, the thought may gradually prevail prevail that if even the parish priest does not pay attention to the fragments, if he administers communion in such a way that the fragments can be scattered, then it means that Jesus is not in them, or that he is up to a certain point. Cardinal Sarah continued, The second track on which the attack against the Eucharist runs is the attempt to remove the sense of the sacred from the hearts of the faithful. While the term transubstantiation points us to the reality of presence, the sense of the sacred enables us to glimpse its absolute uniqueness and holiness. The Cardinal continues, What a misfortune it would be to lose the sense of the sacred precisely in what is the most sacred. And how is it possible by receiving special food in the same way as ordinary food? He says, the liturgy is made up of many small rituals and gestures. Each of them is capable of expressing these attitudes filled with love, filial respect, and adoration toward God. That is precisely why it is appropriate to promote the beauty, fittingness, and pastoral value of a practice which developed during the long life and tradition of the Church, that is, the act of receiving Holy Communion on the tongue and kneeling. He continued, The greatness and nobility of man, as well as the highest expression of his love for his Creator, consists in kneeling before God. Jesus himself prayed on his knees in the presence of the Father. 
Cardinal Sarah concluded his reflections on the Eucharist uh, and receiving Holy Communion on the tongue and kneeling this way. He said, may this book, now remember he was writing uh, the preface to a book which critically was examining this notion of communion on the hand. He said, may this book encourage those priests and faithful who moved also by the example of Benedict XVI, who in the last years of his pontificate wanted to distribute the Eucharist in the mouth and kneeling, wish to administer or receive the Eucharist in this latter manner, which is far more suited to the sacrament itself. The Cardinal said, I hope there can be a rediscovery and promotion of the beauty and pastoral value of this method. In my opinion, he said, and judgment, this is an important question on which the Church today must reflect. This is a further act of adoration and love that each of us can offer to Jesus Christ. I am very pleased, said Cardinal Sarah, to see so many young people who choose to receive our Lord so reverently on their knees and on their tongues. One of the other aspects of his preface was actually Cardinal Sarah's uh, recollection of the Fatima apparitions and the angel that appeared to the three Fatima children prior to their seeing Our Lady herself. At one of the appearances of the angel, the angel of peace, that is, or the angel of Portugal, he appeared to the children, and the angel brought with him Holy Communion. The angel prostrated himself before the Eucharistic Lord, teaching the children to do the same. The fourth point I'd like to bring up is the profanation, what they call the profanation or the desecration of the Holy Eucharist. And it's most seen, of course, in what we just heard Cardinal Sarah talking about, and that is the loss of the fragments of the Eucharist. One of the things I wanted to show you was this clip of an experiment that was done on video in order to see if particles are indeed left when it's administered. So they took these unconsecrated hosts, they spread them here on a table, as you can see, and you'll notice when they examine it, there it is, uh, crumbs or, or particles left of the host. Now, this was unconsecrated, of course, but they did the same thing in a person's hand. They used this glove uh, to show what happens when they put it in the person's hand. They put it in the hand, remove the host, and sure enough, take a look, particles. So, also, take a look at this clip from the interview that I did with Dan Burke. Now, Dan Burke was a former head of EWTN News, um, and he had experience, of course, with the coronavirus, but he is very firmly of the belief that part of this sort of coronavirus chastisement is as a result of the profanation of the Blessed Sacrament. He talked about how our Lord has been trampled underfoot for 50 years in our churches because of what we're doing and how we're letting the particles of the Holy Eucharist fall to the floor. Have a look. Because when you receive in the hand, it causes uh, uh, transact, you know, if I could speak like an engineer for a moment, transactional activity that is that that is minimum of two, uh, twice as much or three times as much as receiving on the tongue because you grab it with your fingers um, or you, or you, which is the worst kind, or it's placed in your hand and then you grab it with your fingers and that causes particles to break loose. And at one time in my own parish, I watched and on Sunday we have a, it's a, it's a cathedral. So there are a lot of people, let's just say a thousand, A hundred percent of those who received on the hand, John Henry, 
a hundred percent. And let me just say, this is an Orthodox parish, you know, mm-hmm. with an Orthodox, a very good and holy priest. Um, he's a great liturgist. He's a he's a canon lawyer. He's the chancellor of the diocese, Father Brian Jerebic. I watched, and I always sit in the front pew anyway, or somewhere real close to the front. And just out of curiosity, a hundred percent, John Henry, that received on the hand did not examine whether or not there were particles to be uh, consumed before they brushed their hands down on their side or whatever. Hmm. And that yeah. that's that causes desecration because, as the Council of Trent clearly says, as tradition is clearly taught, that. The, that if you break the host down into small pieces, the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ is still present in those pieces. If, yeah. And if those drop to the floor and they're trampled underfoot, this is a grave sin. This is desecration. And, wow. and so maybe there's not as full culpability on an individual because they have no intent of doing this. But certainly it's not going to go well in the judgment if they make it. As we've already seen in the comments of the popes and the cardinals of the church, one of the main concerns with communion in the hand is this loss of the fragments of the Eucharistic Christ. It's been one of the main themes of the heroic bishop Athanasius Schneider, who penned a book on this subject on, of the reception of Holy Communion in the hand in 2012. It was called Dominus Est, It is the Lord. And he says these words, I'm going to quote them at length because uh, it's just incredible. He says, The fathers of the church demonstrate a lively concern that no one lose the smallest particle of Eucharistic bread, as exhorted St. Cyril of Jerusalem in this very impressive manner. Colon, Be careful that you do not lose anything of the body of the Lord. If you let fall anything, you must think of it as though you cut off one of the members of your own body, in other words, one of your limbs. Tell me, this is again uh, Bishop Schneider quoting St. Cyril of Jerusalem. Tell me, I beg you, if someone gave you kernels of gold, would you not guard them with the greatest care and diligence intent on not losing anything? Should you not exercise even greater care and vigilance so that not even a crumb of the Lord's body could fall to the ground, for it is far more precious than gold or jewels? That's from the Mystagogical Catechesis of St. Cyril of Jerusalem. Uh, Bishop Schneider continues in his book, Already Tertullian, and by the way, Tertullian died in 240, so we're talking very early in church history. Already Tertullian gave witness to the church's anxiety and sorrow should even a fragment be lost. And quoting from Tertullian, he said, We suffer anxiety lest anything from the chalice or the bread fall onto the ground. St. Ephraim, in the 4th century, taught this way, quote, Jesus filled up the bread with himself and the Spirit and called it his living body. That which I have now given you, says Jesus, do not consider bread, do not trample underfoot even the fragments. The smallest fragment of this bread can sanctify millions of men and is enough to give life to all who eat it, end quote. By 1980, the practice of communion on the hand had become widespread, as did the desecrations of the Holy Eucharist that would surely accompany it. In fact, Pope John Paul II published the letter uh, Dominique Sene 
on February 24, 1980. And in it, he wrote this, and I quote, in some countries, the practice of receiving communion in the hand has been introduced. This practice has been requested by individual Episcopal conferences, that's bishops' conferences, and has received approval from the Apostolic See, that is, from the Vatican. However, continued John Paul II, however, cases of a deplorable lack of respect toward the Eucharistic species have been reported Cases which are imputable not only to the individuals guilty of such behavior, but also to the pastors of the church who have not been vigilant enough regarding the attitude of the faithful toward the Eucharist. It also happens on occasion that the free choice of those who prefer to continue the practice of receiving the Eucharist on the tongue is not taken into account in those places where the distribution of communion in the hand has been authorized. And so there's John Paul II lamenting the abuses of the Eucharist because of communion in the hand and lamenting that some would dare to um, ignore the requests of the faithful to receive communion on the tongue. Well, in a 2014 interview with the magazine of the Latin Mass Society of England and Wales, Bishop Schneider said, and I quote, and these are probably some of the strongest words he said on the subject, I quote, to my knowledge, and experience the deepest wound in the actual crisis of the church is the Eucharistic wound, the abuses of the Blessed Sacrament. The Bishop Snyder said, There is the question of the objectively irreverent reception of Holy Communion, the so-called new modern manner of receiving Holy Communion directly into the hand is very serious because it exposes Christ to an enormous banality. Bishop Schneider added, there is the grievous fact of the loss of Eucharistic fragments. No one can deny this, and the fragments of the consecrated host are crushed by feet. This is horrible. Our God in our churches is trampled by feet. No one can deny it. And this is happening on a large scale. This has to be, for a person with faith and for love of God, a very serious phenomenon. Bishop Schneider added, we cannot continue as if Jesus, as God, does not exist, as though only the bread exists. This modern practice of communion in the hand has nothing to do with the practice in the ancient church. The modern practice of receiving communion on the hand, in the hand contributes gradually to the loss of the Catholic faith in the real presence and in the transubstantiation. He concluded, a priest and a bishop cannot say this practice is okay. Here is at stake the most holy, the most divine and concrete on earth. So, for my fifth point, I'd like to discuss the history of Holy Communion in the Church. Well, of course, the first and earliest accounts of Holy Communion are, of course, in the scriptures themselves, where our Lord gave himself as communion to the apostles at the Last Supper. Now, some suggest that even there, he might have given them Holy Communion on the tongue, especially since we read in the Last Supper narrative in the Gospel of John that our Lord dipped a morsel of bread before giving it to the apostle Judas. And of course, that would be rather messy to dip a morsel of bread into liquid and then hand it to someone. But nonetheless, he might, of course, have given it in the hand. That's not clear. But even if Jesus did give the apostles Holy Communion in the hand, they were all, of course, bishops, not laymen. So they had consecrated hands. However, 
it does seem as though in the early church, there was at least in some places this practice of communion in the hand. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, who lived in the 4th century, wrote this. Or some people actually contest that he wrote it, but nonetheless, I think most people accept that he wrote this. And I quote, Approaching, therefore, do not come forward with the palms of the hands outstretched, nor with the fingers apart, but making the left hand a throne for the right, since this hand is about to receive the king, making the palm hollow, receive the body of Christ, adding, Amen. Then, carefully sanctifying the eyes by touching them with the holy body, partake of it, ensuring that you do not mislay any of it. St. Cyril, of course, added the admonitions about not allowing the particles to drop as mentioned in the previous point. Quoting again from Bishop Schneider's book, Dominus Est, about the history of communion on the tongue, quote, Aware of the greatness of the moment of Holy Communion, the Church, in her two-millennium-long tradition, has searched to find a ritual expression that can bear witness in the most perfect manner to her faith, love, and respect. This is verified when, in the wake of an organic development stemming from at least the 6th century, the Church began to adopt the method of distributing the sacred species of the Eucharist directly into the mouth. This is attested to in several places, in the biography of Pope Gregory the Great and an indication by the same Pope relative to Pope Agapitus. And that, and then he gives, and you'll see it in my blog, um, the um, reference for that in his book. He said, The Synod of Cordoba in 839 condemned the sect of the so-called Casiani because of their refusal to receive Holy Communion directly into their mouths. Then the Synod of Rouen in 878 confirmed the norm in force regarding the administration of the Lord's body on the tongue threatening sacred ministers with suspension from their office if they distributed Holy Communion to the laity on the hand. In the early church, before receiving the consecrated bread, people had to wash their palms, uh, had to wash the palms of their hands. Moreover, the faithful bowed profoundly in receiving the Lord with the mouth directly from the right hand and not from the left. The palm of the hand served as a kind of a patent or corporal, especially for women. One actually can read in a sermon from St. Caesareus of Arles, that's uh, from 470 to 542, quote, All the men who desire to communicate must wash their hands, and all the women must carry a linen cloth on which they receive the body of Christ. So again, quoting from uh, Bishop Schneider's book, Dominus Est, Customarily, the palm of the hand was purified or washed after the reception of the Eucharistic bread, as is up to now the norm of communion of clerics in the Byzantine rite. In the ancient canons of the Chaldean church, even the celebrating priest was forbidden to place the Eucharistic bread into his own mouth with his fingers. Instead, he had to take the body of the Lord in the palm of his hand. The reason for this was to signify that he was dealing here not with ordinary food, but with heavenly food. To the priest, we read in the canon of John Bar um, Abgari, quote, it is directed that, the, that he receive the particle of the consecrated bread directly from the palm of his hand. He may not place it with the hand uh, into the mouth, but must take it with his mouth, for this concerns heavenly food. And those are quotes again from 
Bishop Schneider's book, Dominus Est. In the 1500s, communion in the hand was actually introduced by a Protestant reformer by the name of Martin Bucer. Um, he was actually specifically aiming to end belief in transubstantiation. Bucer actually convinced Thomas Cramner, the heretic Archbishop of Canterbury, not to give communion on the tongue. And Bucer taught this, and I'll quote it for you, quote, I have no doubt that this usage of not putting these sacraments in the hands of the faithful has been introduced out of a double superstition. Firstly, the false honor they wished to show to this sacrament, and secondly, the wicked arrogance of the priests claiming greater holiness than the people of Christ by virtue of the oil of consecration, end quote. But the practice had no place at all in the Catholic Church. Oh, and by the way, again, this is uh, once again quoting from Bishop Schneider's book, but the practice, that is, of communion in the hand, had no place at all in the Catholic Church, since it had been condemned universally prior to the year 1000. In fact, and so all the way up to 1908, you can still read in the Catechism published in 1908, the Catechism of St. Pius X, it gives only one option for the reception of Holy Communion. It reads, and this is question um, or section 47, the, it's a Q&A style catechism, so it reads, how should we act while receiving Holy Communion? The answer reads, in the act of receiving Holy Communion, we should be kneeling, hold our head slightly raised, our eyes modest and fixed on the sacred host, our mouth sufficiently open, and the tongue slightly over the lips, end quote. Now, from an in-depth study and a heavily referenced study at that of the question of communion in the hand by Michael Davies, we learn this, and I quote, communion in the hand was reintroduced into the Catholic Church as an act of rebellion soon after Vatican II. It began in Holland as an arbitrary act of defiance of legitimate authority. The practice spread to Germany, Belgium, and France. The consequences of this rebellion became so serious that the Pope, and that of course is Pope Paul VI, consulted the bishops of the world and after obtaining their opinions promulgated the instruction Memoriale Domini in 1969. The instruction is included and will be uh, referred to. Um, I've included the link to the full uh, instruction uh, under this video and in my blog. And uh, the principal points laid out in it are covered uh, by Michael Davies as these. Quote, one, the bishops of the world were overwhelmingly against the innovation, that's the innovation of communion on the hand. Number two, the traditional manner of distributing Holy Communion must be retained. Number three, it is a sign of reverence which does not detract from the dignity of the communicant, that is, communion on the tongue is a sign of reverence. And number four, the innovation, that is, the communion on the hand, could lead to irreverence, profanation, and the adulteration of correct doctrine. Therefore, Memoriale Domini, the um, 1969 uh, document of Pope Paul VI, uh, said, quote, The Apostolic See strongly urges bishops, priests, people to observe this law, valid and again confirmed, according to the judgment of the majority of the Catholic Episcopate, Catholic Episcopate in the form which the President 
present rite of the sacred liturgy employs and out of concern for the common good of the Church. In Memoriale Domini, Pope Paul admonished Catholics, bishops especially, that, quote, in view of the state of the Church as a whole today, this manner of distributing Holy Communion, that is, on the tongue, must be observed, not only because it rests on a tradition of many centuries, but especially because it is a sign of reverence of the faithful toward the Eucharist. The practice in no way detracts from the personal dignity of those who approach this great sacrament, and it is part of the preparation needed for the most fruitful reception of the Lord's body, end quote. Michael Davies in his paper, though, says that a calamitous error of judgment then followed because it was agreed to that wherever the practice has already developed in, in any place, a two-thirds majority of the Episcopal Conference, that's the bishops of the country, could petition the Holy See, that's the Vatican, for permission to legalize this abuse. Quite clearly, the phrase has already developed, Michael Davies explains, meant that by that date, that May 28, 1969 date, so countries where the practice had not developed by that date were obviously excluded from the concession of allowance for Holy Communion in hand. And therefore, of course, all English-speaking countries would fall into this category of not being able even to apply for um, an allowance for this abuse of communion on the hand. However, when the National Conference of Catholic Bishops um, got together in 1977, they debated the question, and they were, in fact, it was led by Cardinal Bernardin, who was the president at the time, and he was trying to push it. A bishop by the name of Bishop Blanchette, uh, he was from Joliet, Illinois. He pointed out that the procedure approved by the Vatican was permission could be requested from the Vatican if the contrary usage prevailed. In other words, if the abuse was already going on. He pointed out that the bishops could hardly take the second step that is applied to the Vatican without taking the first. So Bishop Blanchette um, actually recounts what happened uh, in the pages of the National Catholic Register of June 12, 1977. And I'll quote it for you. I said, we are now going to discuss and probably vote on whether we want to petition the Holy See, and we've not established that a contrary usage prevails. In other words, that the abuse is going on, that there is such a thing as communion on the hand in America. I said a simple way, this is the bishop again, writing in the newspaper in 1977. I said a simple way to do that would be to ask the ordinaries, that means the bishops, to indicate whether in their dioceses the contrary usage prevails. In other words, whether um, there's a majority of people receiving on the hand. The ordinary, that is the bishop, should know. He is the shepherd of the diocese. He has been asked to obey, and his priests have been asked to obey. So if anybody knows whether the contrary usage prevails, he should. And so I ask that the agenda be amended so that the first step, finding out whether the contrary usage prevails, could be verified. And if it were verified, then we could get on with the rest of the agenda. But if the first step is not verified, how can we logically go on to that second step? And that was my motion. And those are the words of Bishop Blanchette. Of course, Bishop Blanchette's motion was supported in writing by five other bishops and sustained by the president of the conference, but it was actually ruled out of order. 
Um, according to the rules, there should have been a written vote, but supporters of the innovation objected and uh, voted on a show of hands, apparently, to rule the president out of order. So that is the account of what happened, again, uh, by Michael Davies, a heavily researched and annotated account that I encourage you to look up and you'll find the link to. And Michael Davies continues in his paper, um, it therefore seems quite reasonable to ask just how legal this vote was. Then, of course, other extraordinary measures were taken to get the innovation adopted. So remember, they could apply, but they had to get to a two-thirds vote of the bishops to also get there. And what actually happened was this, as Michael Davies explains, retired bishops were prevented from voting, and when the necessary majority had still not been achieved, bishops who had not been present were polled until the necessary total was arrived at. So, as you can see, communion in the hand in modern times came by way of abuse, deceit, betrayal by wolves in the hierarchy. It is for these reasons that I believe Catholics should not receive Holy Communion in the hand. Should you be in a situation where you were refused Holy Communion unless you take it in the hand, I would make a spiritual Holy Communion only. And then contact the proper authority to remedy the situation. Take that letter that was written by uh, the Vatican on the question during the swine flu pandemic in 2009. Take it to your priest or bishop. Ask them to give you Holy Communion at least after Mass if they feel they can't do it during Mass. This is actually a compromise being practiced in many dioceses today. And if they still won't permit you your right to receive Holy Communion on the tongue, apply to the Vatican's Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments with the proof of their denial of Holy Communion on the tongue. And pray, asking God that the remedy might come soon. In the meantime, offer up the sacrifice of being deprived of the Holy Eucharist and still attend Mass, offering your own pain along with Christ's own sacrifice. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. Hello, this is John Henry Weston. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. There you will find all the past episodes and much more. Thanks again for watching, and may God bless you.